0: Watched that video this week and uh, it really touched me and um, I hope uh, I hope it was meaningful you for you as well and I and the reason I say that is because it's true we have a Heavenly Father who is with us always and um, wherever we go the Father the Son the Holy Spirit they are with us always the Lord declares I am with you and these words are written over and over and over in our Bible and it's an important promise we need to remind ourselves about it and today we're going to actually unpack that a little bit we're going to illuminate it just a little bit this promise of uh, this truth of an everlasting faithful God well let me first start by asking you a question has God revealed something to you lately has God revealed something to you lately something he wants you to do somewhere he wants you to go Someone he wants you to reconcile with. Someone he wants you to share your testimony with. Maybe somebody he wants you to trust. And all the while, you're running full steam in the opposite direction because you're afraid. If God's Spirit is in you, God is working purposefully to reveal his will in your life, to shape you in the image of his Son, he has a history of taking the children he loves and putting them in difficult places, putting them outside their comfort zone, pushing them so that they can do things that they alone could not do, things that so deeply scare us and, and scare you that we become afraid. And I want to encourage you with the reminder this morning that the Bible is full of people who were afraid. And I mean really afraid. <coughs> this morning I want to share with you a true historical event. This isn't fiction. This isn't a story. This is true it's a true historical event an event in which god did something amazing and uh, john we can show pull the pull the timeline up here so this is a story about god god is the main actor he's the main character in the story and it comes from the book of joshua and joshua is in the story but i want you to know that god is the main actor and we're going to pick up uh, the story here where the red arrow this is a point in israel's history they're living in the desert so I want to focus your attention at this point in time. They're living in the desert east of the Jordan River. So this is after the slavery. This is after the exodus. They've, uh, Moses has taken them out into the desert. And there was a young aide to Moses, and his name was Joshua. He was an Israelite. Uh, He was born in Egypt, he was born under slavery, he experienced the ten plagues, all of those ten plagues, Joshua experienced them, and then he watched in awe as God parted the Red Sea, he walked across the bottom of the Red Sea to the other side, and then he watched in awe as God closed the Red Sea over the Egyptian army. And so he followed Moses into the desert, and he's been eating a steady diet of manna and quail. And then God asks him to lead a makeshift Israelite army. And I say all this because it's background to where we're going to, to remind you a little bit about who Joshua was. So all of a sudden he has to lead this army and he has to defeat the Amalekite army. And um, perhaps you know the story. Uh, Moses uh, held his arms in the air and uh, Aaron and Hur had to hold the arms in the air uh, while the army was fighting. And who was fighting that battle? It was Joshua on the field with the sword and he was leading this army. And so very early on, he establishes himself as a military leader. He was a warrior and he was somebody that Moses could trust. And it's not long after that that Moses actually selects Joshua as one of the 12 to go into the promised land. And you know the story. So these 12 spies, they creep into the promised land. They cross over and they check it all out and they come back perhaps you know the story i hope you do of the 12 spies only t- two are faithful only two are faithful the rest are scared but two are faithful joshua and caleb they say let's do it. we can take it but the other 10 guys they grumble they complain about how small they are like grasshoppers compared to the big dudes on the other side of the fence and so these 10 unfaithful spies managed to corrupt in a sense israel uh, and uh, they um, they end up suffering a, a sense of fear and we'll pick it up here let's show the text john from uh, numbers chapter 14. it says that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud all the israelites grumbled against moses and aaron and the whole assembly said to them if only we had died in egypt or in the wilderness why is the lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword they were afraid our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Men, I think that probably resonates with you. There's nothing more fearful than knowing that you're going to die by the sword and then, and then they're going to take your wives and children. They were afraid. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, they said. And then they looked at one another and they said, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land and they tore their clothes and they said to the entire israelite assembly the land we passed through is exceedingly good if the Lord is pleased with us he will lead us into that land a land flowing with milk and honey and he will give it to us only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them their protection is gone but the Lord is with us do not be afraid and they stood in front of the assembly, and they said this. And the, the people actually considered stoning poor Joshua and Caleb for being faithful. God wasn't pleased. He said, how long will these people treat me with contempt? In fact, he threatened to wipe out the entire uh, nation of Israel, except Moses, and start over. But Moses pleads with God, and God forgives Israel, but not without just punishment. And in verse 30, God said, Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Then in verse 33, God said, Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one for each year of the 40 days, you explored the land, and you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Ouch. It says that Israel m- mourned bitterly when Moses gave them the news. And When I read these events in Numbers and Deuteronomy, my heart breaks for Caleb and Joshua. Well, I won't say they did everything right. They were faithful. They went over. They spied out the land. They came back. They gave a good testimony. They stood in front of the people, and they said, Let's go take it. And because of the actions of others, um, They suffered, and they had to spend an extra 40 years in the desert. Because of the decisions of others, Caleb and Joshua had to wait another 40 years. And I'll, I'll come back to that term, because of the decisions of others. That'll make more sense later. And you know, there's no biblical evidence that Caleb or Joshua were actually bitter. Disappointed, probably. Sad, probably. But not bitter. They still had a promise in their pocket. I don't have the text for you here, but in Deuteronomy, listen to what the Lord promised them. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land large, flourishing with cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. He's giving them free cities, free homes, cupboards full of free food. When you've been living in the desert in a tent for 40 years, that's got to sound amazing. I know some of you like camping. Some of you like sleeping in tents on the ground. But I don't think even the diehards here in the room would last a week or a month or 40 years on the ground sleeping in a tent Sleeping on the ground hurts. I figured that out a couple of years ago when we stopped. The winger stopped sleeping on the ground. We bought ourselves a camper trailer, and now we sleep on little mattresses, actually. (laughs) But um, sleeping on the ground hurts, but they had this amazing promise that they were looking forward to. And did God keep that promise? You bet he did. How could he not? That would deviate from his character. He is faithful to his promises. He is faithful. I want you to hear me this morning. God is faithful. Do you think it surprised Joshua that only days after Moses' death, God spoke to him? Not at all. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how many days it took. Commentators speculate that it probably uh, they waited the 30 customary days after somebody died. Those details don't really matter. The point, the point is that God is faithful and that God fulfilled his promise. He said that everyone would have to die in the desert of that generation except Caleb and Joshua. So they're probably watching. I mean, they're probably looking around thinking, well, we're getting down and pretty much everyone's almost gone. And uh, Moses was the last at 120 years old. He finally passed away. So then it's just Joshua and Caleb and and all the younger generation, everyone else buried in the desert. So with all that backstory, let's pick up Joshua chapter 1. Um, and uh, pastor steve read the text earlier we'll walk through it here now and uh, thank you john for putting that on the screen first one and you can read in your bible or read on the screen it says after the death of moses the servant of the lord the lord said to joshua son of nun moses's aid Now i want you to notice the word servant god refers to moses as the servant of the lord in quotes i guess and that terminology appears 13 times in the book of joshua in reference to moses it's a designation that was also given to abraham and to david and it's meant to stress the very personal relationship between john or between moses and god you and i also have a personal relationship with god but we're not servants of the lord in the same sense in fact in john 15 Jesus specifically rejects the idea when he's speaking to his disciples. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's interesting to note that Joshua eventually does receive this this designation, servant of the Lord, but not until after his death. For now, he's simply referred to as Moses' aide. Picking up in verse 2, the Lord says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready and cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Get ready and cross the river. Cross the river. Turns out that's not, that was quite a formidable command. This wasn't Rennie's River. This was the Jordan <laughs> River. I've never seen the Jordan River. Has anybody here ever seen the Jordan River? I got two hands, three hands. Okay. So apparently the, the descriptions I've read at, in this location at this time of year at high flood waters, this river was pretty wide, pretty deep and fast flowing. And so this was a test of Joshua's faith. He didn't have boats. He didn't have a bridge. He didn't have a barge. He didn't have a zip line or a pontoon or anything like that. How was he going to move thousands of people across this huge river? Verse, one, or verse five goes on to say, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. These words were meant to be an encouragement to Joshua. There's no standing against those who have God on their side. If he is for us, who can be against us? God promises him clear success, and he tells him to be strong and he tells him to be courageous. And he says it again in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my, uh, my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book o- of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. You know, if ever there was a guy who maybe had an excuse for not meditating on the law every day, every moment. It might have been Joshua. The guy was leading a nation, thousands upon thousands of people, and he was just told, you're about to cross the river and go into a huge war with some really big guys. Maybe he was a little stressed out. Might have had some other things on his mind. But God says, oh no, I want your heart. I want you to meditate on my word. I want it to be on your lips. Joshua was a man of great power and authority, yet even he himself was under command. No man's dominion, however great, sets him above the law of God. So what does Joshua do? Verse 10 says he, well, he quickly ordered the officers of the people. He brought them in and he said, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, we cross the Jordan here and we take possession of the land. So it appears Joshua acted quickly. God commanded, Joshua acts. He immediately calls in the officers. I asked the question, what's an officer? And uh, Steve Daw whipped out his phone and he did a quick little word study for me. He had a couple of cool apps and some pie charts and things all popped up. And he even told me what it sounded like in, in Hebrew, but I can't remember. But this this word officer, you'll see it in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses was, uh, God commanded Moses to basically put commanders over thousands and commanders over hundreds. And so there was a structure to Israel in a sense. So um, Joshua didn't call the whole nation into assembly to speak to them. He called in his officers the best way to communicate with your people. And uh, so he did that, he pulled them in and it turns out they weren't just military officers, they also had the ability to judge slightly and he tells them to tell the people, decamp, pack it up, we're crossing the Jordan. And for those of you who have moved, if you've been told you gotta move in three days, I don't know if many of you could pack your house up in three days. Um, Now we probably got a lot more stuff on our houses than they had in their tents. Packing up in three days, it probably wasn't a chore for some of the families. Interestingly, verse 12, I want to share this bit with you. Joshua says, but to the Re- Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command, this is important, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land. Stay in the land on this side of the Jordan. This is an interesting story. The tribes mentioned here had struck a deal with Moses. It's recorded back in Numbers 32. But, uh, now these particular tribes, it turned out they were pretty good at raising cattle and they had a lot of livestock. And um, so they're, you know, they're looking after all this stuff on this side of the Jordan. And they kind of scoped it out and they said, this is pretty good, I think we'd rather just stay here. We don't want to cross the Jordan, we want our rest now. And so they asked Moses, can we build some pens can we build some cities and just kind of stay here? We don't really want to <laughs> cross over. And so they strike a deal. Moses says yes. And, uh, but it comes with a condition. When the time would come that they would cross the Jordan, that Israel would cross the Jordan, uh, the deal was that the wives, the children, the livestock could stay behind for these three tribes. They would not have to go into a, into a war zone. They could stay where they were and have their rest. But the men, the fighting men, would have to go over first. In fact, The deal was that they would actually cross first. They would cross over with the rest of Israel. They would subdue that land, and then eventually they would be allowed to come back. So this was a promise to Moses. Moses is dead, but Joshua makes sure they honor it. That's interestingly then in verse 16, the officers responded to Joshua. They said, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with us as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, we will put to death. Here we see the officers respond to Joshua like soldiers in response to the general. They are fully uh, obedient to him, so much so that they actually pass an act, uh, a promise in a sense. They basically say, anybody, Joshua, that doesn't follow you, we will put to the sword. Moses didn't quite have that deal, but Joshua gets that promise from the officers in a sense because they're about to go into a a war, into a conquest, and when you're going into a war, you need some military discipline. And so the officers basically say, if you don't follow Joshua, we're going to put you to the sword. So they were about to enter a dangerous land, and they knew that. It was full of tyrants and warriors. And the officers actually tell the general, they actually tell Joshua to be courageous. This was going to be scary, and they needed to trust in the sovereign power of their God. And so do we. I want you to leave here this morning reminded of the sovereignty of God. We really have to find a way to work that into our daily lives and into our relationships with each other. We have to buy into the fact that God is running the show and not just part of it, that he truly is sovereign. And since the beginning, he has been faithfully building in to the lives of people that surrender themselves to God. He's never messed up. He's never blown it. He bats a thousand every time, all the time. And if we fail to surrender our lives to God, we're faced with going through life, stumbling through trial and error. God says, if you give me your life and your lifestyle, I will build into your life and I've never blown it. He is faithful. His word says he will do. He will be with us wherever we go. And that's a very important promise. I want that, that to grip you this morning. God is faithful. Family will let you down. Friends will let you down. Your children will let you down. Your spouse will let you down. Your colleagues at work will let you down. Even your car, your quad, and your dog will all let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. God will never let you down. They are faithful. I have some concluding points how should we respond to this truth the truth of an everlasting of the everlasting faithfulness of god number one refuse to let bitterness take root in your life you might say paul how did you get to that that seems like a kind of a strange point uh, number point number one but it'll make sense in a second knowing that god is working in us to turn us uh uh, into the image of his son as followers of christ we know that trials will come of various kinds will come our way and the apostle james tells us that in james one And interestingly, here's the point. Interestingly, sometimes this pain and injustice is the result of other people's actions. So remember the 10 spies? Other people's actions are sometimes the source, the instrument that God uses to bring suffering into our lives. Caleb and Joshua had to spend an extra 40 years in the desert. So sometimes other people's actions bring pain into our life. Somebody T-bones your car, and you're stuck in rehab for the next six months. Somebody steals your car and burns it and you're stuck saving money to buy a new car. Uh, Somebody maligns your character and you're left trying to put your integrity back together. Perhaps your spouse is unfaithful and you spend the next months and years rebuilding the intimacy that God wants for your marriage. Sometimes God uses other people as his instruments for our suffering. Sometimes God takes us into the desert and we don't know how long we're going to be there. But Israel did. Israel was told 40 years. And I've got to be honest, I think I'd be pretty upset if I was Joshua. Because of the unfaithfulness of Israel, Joshua and Caleb had to spend another 40 years. If you ever get a chance to do a character study on Joshua, it would be worth it. There's no biblical evidence, as I said earlier, that he was bitter. And the gospel frees us from bitterness. And I want, to remi- I want us to remind ourselves today that if we're hanging on to any offense... If you've been hurt by somebody, Jesus will settle that. It may not be on this side of heaven, but you can trust in the supremacy of your king. He'll settle the score. Point number two, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. This one jumps out when you read the text. How can it not when, you're, when you read Joshua chapter one? Be strong, be courageous. When Joshua led the people into the promised land, before they could take possession of it, they had to drive out the Canaanites and the Nephilim. It turns out the Nephilim were huge. These guys were huge. They were warriors. They were powerful. They were tyrants. They were oppressors, and they actually believed they were their own gods. They were blasphemers against the one true living God, and Joshua knew what this meant. Crossing the Jordan into the promised land meant a military conquest. He needed to be brave. He needed to have courage, and he needed to stand for truth. Three times in the passage this morning, we see in verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, But God says, be strong and courageous. He could have easily frozen with fear. We talked about fear in our life group on Sunday night. Matt Chandler taught us in our life group that fear, sometimes its root is when we we create idols and we hang on to those idols too tightly. And so when we hang on to those idols too lightly, then we fear losing those things. And so the lesson is to hold loosely to the things of this world. Not to let go of the things of this world, but to hold loosely to the things of this world. Put them in their proper place and trust in the everlasting faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. My last point, it's got a few subpoints though. Point number three. Do you need courage? Do you need courage? I'd be surprised if you said no. Satan works really hard to... Help us build these prisons of fear around our lives. You might not be facing a military conquest. God might not be asking you to go in and fight a war on uh, for Him. But Christians today are are still um, have this very real need for courage. I opened this morning asking you the question: Is God asking you to do something? Does He is He asking you to go somewhere, to do something, to share your testimony, to? perhaps reconcile with somebody that you haven't reconciled with to trust somebody and you're running full steam in the opposite direction because you're afraid. If that's the case, you need courage. You need real Christian courage. And so where do you get that courage? Where do you get courage? Well, look at the children when I say this. Where do you get courage? You can't go to Walmart and buy courage. You can't drink it or eat it. Where do you get courage? Well, you can say strength and courage and go to the basement and lift some weights You can get strong, (laughs) go like this, go. (laughs) Well, if you need real Christian courage, I've got six suggestions. Number one, knowing I am forgiven. Knowing I, I am forgiven. In Matthew 9, we read that Jesus crosses the lake. He jumps in a boat, he crosses the lake, and he's going to his hometown. And when he gets there, some guys meet him on the beach, and they've brought with him a paralytic lying on a bed. And it it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic on the bed, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. So being forgiven, being in a right relationship with God, this has so many blessings. One of which is strength and courage. We don't need to be afraid anymore. Let the fact that we've been washed white as snow be part of our identity and let it produce strength and courage. Be where can we find courage, hoping in god psalm thirty one describes King David in his anguish and in his distress, near the end of the psalm. He turns and he remembers God's goodness and love toward him. He closes with an exhortation of god, uh, to god's people, and King David says, "Let the Lord or so he says, "Love the Lord, all his saints the the, lo- the Lord preserves the faithful, be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord. your hope as a follower of Christ." should ground you in ways that astonish unbelievers. Let me say that again. Your hope as a believer in Christ should ground you in ways that would astonish unbelievers. Let it be a source of your courage and strength. C, where do you get strength? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were seized. They were dragged in front of the Sanhedrin. and they were, It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed Christ. And the Sanhedrin didn't know what to do with them. And uh, so they heaped on some threats. They didn't know how to punish them, and they kicked them out the door. And so Peter and John go back to their church family, and they pray together. And it says, after they prayed, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The Holy Spirit gives us courage. You'll never have to stand before the Sanhedrin. You'll never have to do a military conquest like Joshua but we have the Holy Spirit like Peter and John. Let him be the source of strength and courage inside you. D, knowing God is with me. Surely this one jumped out at you today when we read Joshua chapter 1. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I am with you forever. Take that to the bank. He's with us. Who who can stand against us? Two more. E, E through prayer psalm 138 is a psalm of praise by david he's singing it's beautiful in verse three he says when i called you answered me you greatly emboldened me when i called you answered you greatly emboldened me the last couple of weeks pastor steve has preached on the topic of prayer and i hope you've been reminded of the power of prayer and like david you are emboldened through prayer let it be one of the ways you derive your strength and courage. My last point, where do you find courage? Where do you find courage? F, watching the example of others. In his book to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul says his suffering has served to advance the gospel. He wrote, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So I want you to find your example here today, part of our family, Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we're broken. But we know a perfect Savior. And by watching each other run the race of life, that can be a source of courage in your own life. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we are prone to fear. There are people here today that are gripped with fear, that perhaps have built themselves into a prison of fear. I pray that we would be reminded of your everlasting faithfulness. You are with us. You will be with us wherever we go. Wherever we go, Lord, you are with us. In your name I pray. Amen.